care partnerships across the country work together to improve the quality of care and health outcomes for local residents, this series of podcasts explore some of the key elements involved in making integrated care a reality. Hello, I'm Dr Nigel Hewitt. Welcome to Integrated Care, Complex Needs That Require Life-Saving Solutions. Joining me today is Chris Marsh from Doncaster Council and Gina Rowlands from Bevan Healthcare. I'm a GP by background and Medical Director of Pathway. Pathway is a national charity for healthcare for homeless people and other excluded groups. Uh, We're not a provider organisation. Our aim is to improve the quality of healthcare in the NHS uh, and we mainly target, target people experiencing homelessness vulnerable migrants, gypsies and travellers, and sex workers. Chris. So I'm Chris Marsh, and I work with Doncaster Council, but also a range of other public services, including health providers, health commissioners, criminal justice agencies, housing providers, and also importantly, community, voluntary, faith sector organisations in the development of a model in, in Doncaster to deal with complexity, multiple disadvantage in what we think is a very innovative and effective way. Hi, and I'm Gina Rowlands. I'm the Managing Director at Bevan Healthcare CIC. We provide primary care in Leeds and Bradford to the homeless, asylum seekers, refugees and other vulnerable groups. We've been formed as a social enterprise since the 1st of September 2011 when we originally, as it's called, spun out of the NHS on the 1st of September 2011, we had a team of 12 staff and 1,400 patients. We now have 70 staff and 6,500 patients across both sites. So today we'll be exploring how systems can better provide for those with complex needs, looking at the challenges we all face and how best to tackle these. So, homeless people are around 10 times more likely to die in any given year than age-matched housed people. 31% of people affected by homelessness have complex needs and additional financial, interpersonal and emotional needs that make engagement with mainstream services difficult. So from my point of view, this is really why uh, tackling the healthcare needs of homeless people is is really important because they exhibit the the extremes of healthcare needs in a context of a great deal of complexity. So it's really important to find ways of integrating our healthcare provision so that we can get better outcomes. Homeless people are often seen as the canaries in the mine and we, we share a common vision that if we can make our systems work well for homeless people, then they'll work very well for the rest of us who live much more comfortable lives. And likewise in Doncaster, I think you know our overall aim is to make sure that people who are trapped in that cycle of, of homelessness, uh, you know, rough sleeping, addiction, poor physical health, poor mental health, they, they can't really move on in their lives until some of the sometimes quite acute healthcare needs are, are supported. And, and then, of course, they often need support over time with, with chronic conditions. So it's a crucial part of, of the overall job of breaking the cycle that people are locked into. And I think a major part of that is obviously registering with um, health providers into primary care and something that everybody needs to be aware of when dealing with our patients with multiple complex needs. It starts with their priority, not yours. And that is really important in terms of building up trust and engagement and actually being able to move somebody forward. It might be something for us that's quite insignificant, but it's really quite significant for them. You have to be aware. You have to be really aware of what is happening in people's lives. 
50% of people sleeping rough have mental health needs, but many parts of the country with large numbers of rough sleepers do not have specialist mental health support. I think from a, a delivery point of view, the, the more we, we've worked in Doncaster with people who are in these circumstances, the more we understand the importance of trauma and usually childhood trauma. And I think, you know, we're becoming you know more and more used to being able to understand the impacts of, of trauma um, with, with individuals at the right time to approach those issues in, in the process of engagement and support for people. And I think it's also important to say that the, the staff working with, you know, with this cohort of people often experience you know, quite traumatic conversations, you know, sometimes their own kind of personal experiences. And it's important to recognise the impact of trauma across the board. So staff being able to offload and deal with their own issues. And that's why in Doncaster we have a, a trauma worker who's a part of our integrated team. It's an incredibly important thing. And I think that's one of the ways in which a response to the mental health needs of, of homeless people needs to be slightly different from mainstream services. Often the, the role of, of, of mental health services is to identify severe and enduring mental illness. In the homeless context, every encounter is coloured by those personality issues, by the, by the almost ubiquitous experience of, of, of childhood psychological trauma. So all of the workers involved need, need training and support to understand and work with those issues and, and work through the many challenges that, that come from that. And that's a key part of the complexity to which the NHS long-term plan, I think, needs to respond. There's a specific action to provide outreach services to people experiencing homelessness. And there's an extra £30 million invested, which is going to be invested to meet the needs of rough sleepers. And this will be targeted to the parts of England most affected by rough sleeping to give better access to specialist homeless NHS mental health support. And I think we're all agreeing here that an understanding of the complexity that arises from complex trauma will be a key part of the design and delivery of those services. Mm. We have to think about this client group in a quite different way, also in terms of the pace of response to services. You know, we, we've had in Doncaster quite a number of cases now where there is a, a momentary motivation to seek support, you know, sometimes when that's been resisted for many years, you know, and often that happens on a hospital bed, you know, when people are realising that if they don't change their lifestyle and if they don't seek some support. And so the ability to get services and support to people quickly is a really crucial thing. In, in the housing kind of policy world, they call this critical time interventions. It's been talked about as a kind of certain style of policy. And I think that means there are implications for that for commissioners in terms of the services that they're commissioning from providers, mm -hmm. there are implications for providers that, you know, the whole, it turns the whole kind of thinking about waiting times for, for services on its head, because if you don't catch that moment, it can be gone. Of 100,000 social enterprises in the UK, 31% work in the 20% most deprived communities, creating jobs, filling gaps in support, as well as addressing wider determinants of health and well-being, such as debt and housing. And that is how we developed our model at Bevan Healthcare. We have provided a service, a holistic service, and almost created each of the practices, but particularly in Bradford, a one-stop shop, so that we have like-minded partners who are based in our building, there are tenants in our building as well, which are providing a whole host of services in relation to mental health, social support, housing, debt management. And none of that work can be done without collaboration and partnership. It's the absolute key to the success. 
We have an intensive and proactive support, health promotion and intervention focused package of care. And as I said, it is absolutely patient centred approach and it always starts with their needs, not ours. And sometimes that can be something really simple as providing somebody with a clean pair of socks. It might seem small, but if your feet are uncomfortable, you don't want to address everything else that's going on in your life. So at Bradford, we developed particularly this model that we'd heard spoken about by Jim Connell and Jim Withers at one of the conferences, Nigel, wasn't it, back in 2012? 2012, Do you want to explain who they are? They're our heroes. Yeah, they are. (laughs) These are a a couple of uh, American medical practitioners who've really pioneered street outreach to to, to homeless people, going out onto the streets, taking healthcare to where the need is. Obviously, it's a very different system in the States. Mm. The scale of the problem is is vast compared to, to, to the UK. But those sorts of innovations do provide lessons which we can we mm. can we can apply in our system. Mm. So we developed a model in Bradford, which is a completely integrated model. We have the primary care in the middle. We have outreach services, street outreach service, street medicine, and we also have an intermediate care facility which we run in partnership with Horton Housing in Bradford, which are fourteen beds of step up and step down. So it's either from the community or from the hospital for homeless people. Because unfortunately, even in this day and age, homeless people are discharged from hospital back to the street or in very unstable and suitable accommodation. One of the main benefits of having step up, step down is something that's often ignored, I would say, in inclusion health and has been for a number of years, but is coming to the fore, is end of life care and palliative care for people with very complex needs at our end stage of life. We have a similar story in that we've developed a model called the Doncaster Complex Lives Alliance, which essentially was at its root is a, an accountable care partnership, you know, but it isn't just relating to the health and social care system. So that the Complex Lives Alliance involves health providers, uh, you know, both acute and um, community NHS trusts. It, it, it's uh, very strongly supported and driven by commissioners within the CCG and also within the council, both public health and adult social care. But it, but it involves housing providers. We have the police, we have the community rehabilitation company, the national probation service, housing benefits staff, all working within an integrated team, which includes a mental health nurse now full-time, substance misuse worker. So I, I think by definition, that demonstrates to us that this, this work is has to be a joint enterprise. So we've had to develop a single case management system so that we can allow staff to work on a single story, you know, a single version of the truth in relation to somebody's case and lots of other things about the way the system has worked. The pathway approach involved taking that same integrated approach into hospitals and we devised a model of uh, GP and nurse-led services alongside allied health professionals, housing advisors uh, and in some cases expert by experience care navigators, people with lived experience of homelessness working alongside the teams. And what we found was that developing those sorts of multidisciplinary case management teams in an acute hospital setting improved outcomes for homeless patients. And on the back of the evidence base, which has been uh, developed and supported by Pathway, we now have teams in 11 hospitals from Bradford to Brighton and a robust evidence base, which is why I think we've all of us ended up in the NHS long-term plan. Uh, And specifically, Pathway approach has been shown to improve outcomes for homeless patients with better health, 90 days after discharge, less rough sleeping and improved housing outcomes on discharge. The approach improves capacity in busy hospitals by reducing the average duration of stay and reducing subsequent A&E attendances and and, and admissions and it's a cost-effective intervention calculated both in terms of quality adjusted life years and by comparing the costs of the team to the reduction in 
secondary care activity after involvement for involved patients. The key message I think has always got to be that they improve the value for the person involved. We're improving the outcomes for, for the patients and that's really should always be the focus of all of our activity. I think at the heart of the work that we, we do in Doncaster is the importance of relationships, the importance of enabling a, you know, a frontline worker or peer support workers or volunteers, the time and space to develop a meaningful relationship mm. with somebody and then to be there ready with the services that are needed when they are needed. And I think we need to get away from thinking for our particular patients and services that we all provide. Oh, it's expensive, it's much more expensive than for us general practice. Because actually the impact that we're making and the cost savings, if people want to talk about cost, but the real winner in his ear is to individuals having a decent life and a, an extended length of life isn't just money. It is saving right across the boundaries, wouldn't you say, Nigel, into criminal justice, getting people into employment, education, and actually returning or for the first time coming back into work. They talk about recovery, but I think for actually a lot of our patients, service users for you, Chris, it's about discovering themselves as well. Just delighted to hear Chris reflecting back. Mm what is supported by a growing international evidence base. Yeah. We, we published a paper in, in The Lancet last year on effective interventions in inclusion health populations, looking at all of the evidence across the world. And in very brief summary, what it came down to is individual care coordination supported by a multi-agency mm. team. Mm. And just exactly as Chris was describing, mm. empowering somebody and giving them the time to build that relationship until you're at that critical time intervention, the teachable moment we talk about in, in, in healthcare, when you can then offer all of the services that that person or any of the services that person might need at that particular moment and all of the thinking around housing first and all of the other interventions to help tackle complexity come back to that idea of having quick access to the care that people particularly feel ready to, to accept but built on that trusting relationship and that's really the key to all of this. Mm. A point on the cost benefit point as well you know this is a question uh, that's common to ask nowadays in public services, you know, what's the cost benefit? We should be careful not to put these new, innovative and effective approaches in a position where we're judging them by a higher standard than everything else which is funded by the public purse. We have to understand the relative cost benefit rather than just the cost benefit uh, of the new approaches. I think we've lost a lot of good practice over the years because of an, you know, an inability to take that kind of approach. One of the hooks I think we've got ourselves on is is thinking exclusively about cost effectiveness and it's understandable in times of austerity and, uh, and, and challenged budgets but always the challenge will come back sort of show me the money where's where's the cash that you're saving from this and, and the challenge is that it's often the savings are spread across a variety of different budgets across the CCG across the hospital trust the local authority the criminal justice system so society benefits the individual patient benefits hugely and I think really are thinking that the opportunity here with integrated commissioning is to think about what sort of society do we want to live in or what sort of streets do we want to walk down what do we want it to feel like to live in Doncaster or mm. Bradford or mm. Leicester or London? Does it want to feel like a place where, where the people are clearly mentally ill, addicted, physically unwell, lying in doorways? Or do we want to raise our society above that by working together? And that's something that's really strong at Bevan Healthcare, being a CIC. Our values and principles are very much embedded in health, hope and humanity. And we feel that that is the absolute crux of it, about helping people back into life, recovery, discovery, and maybe, you know, finding something of themselves again, which is really important, and to help them and guide them along. 
whichever way they choose to go it doesn't always work you'll agree with that Nigel I'm sure you do Chris no matter what you do for some interventions it sometimes doesn't work for people maybe it's not right time in their lives or maybe you will never get there but do you know what you can never give up on somebody never give up because one day you may just get that chink and that breakthrough that's required the our experience in in developing and providing integrated services for, for homeless people and other excluded groups has a lot of applicability to the new thinking around ICSs mm -hmm. in that the the key intervention is that relationship yeah. with, the, with, with the patient, the, the customer, the client, uh, but also the relationships between all of the different provider organisations. It takes a lot of time to learn to trust each other, to learn to, to share budget, to, to learn to work together in a, in a collaborative way. One of the key pieces of thinking around ICS is, is around prevention work. Uh, and again, I think for people in, in this situation, prevention needs a different way of thinking about it. Again, in healthcare context, we often talk about primary prevention, and I guess in this context, that would be stopping people falling into abject poverty and ending up homeless in, in the first place. Most of what we're involved in is secondary prevention, spotting when people are starting to get significant problems and trying to intervene, and most commonly tertiary prevention, so people who are already seriously uh, unwell in a variety of different ways in, in which we're trying to stop that from getting worse and helping them gradually back up the ladder into society. There are a great deal of, of opportunities there, but I think what we've learned is that actually once people do end up right at the bottom of society with very complex needs, it takes a very long time to, to get them back to, to being productive members of society. I've seen quite a lot recently about integrated systems, integrated care systems needing to move at the pace of relationships. And I agree with that. I think relationships make this work work at every single level, you know, at the, at the front line level, the individual level, but also at the systems level but just slightly provocatively I'd say that we just have to be a bit careful there and, and ask the question how long do people really have to wait right you know because in the end we've got some people who've got pretty dire needs and, and they can't wait forever for services to become joined up around their needs and I do think we need to be clear that there's an urgent mandate here to deliver for mm. some of the most vulnerable people in society. And we should be looking at right back at the beginning of supporting families that are, are, are in difficulties because we do know, don't we, that by putting the work in really early you can prevent what we're actually seeing now. And for us, I would always say from for our services, you know, to be able to one day shut the door and have people being able to access primary care elsewhere with good services that support them in the correct way. Gosh, that'd be a job well done for all of us, but I don't think I'll see it in my working life. Mm, I think we're all in agreement. Yeah. This, this, this can't wait. This is urgent. No, it's urgent. And yeah. if you want primary prevention, end childhood poverty is, yeah, is, is absolutely. Yeah. We've done a lot of work on tertiary prevention already, so we, we've really tightened up arrangements around prison release which you know, has a major impact. We have four uh, Her Majesty's prisons within the Doncaster local authority boundary which presents quite a unique challenge so tightening up those because there's so much short-term sentencing going on, so many issues there around continuity of healthcare too which is an important issue but really the release arrangements and people are being released with you know no fixed address is, is something we've tightened up on. We, we've done a lot of work also around care leavers, you know, who we understand to be clearly an at-risk group, and also around hospital discharge, you know, becoming better at making sure that there aren't people stuck on hospital beds because of no accommodation. But I think what we need to move into is that the people who are living in properties but are so wobbly 
that it only takes a push off the side and they are on the streets, you know. If we don't stem the flow of, of people who are in that very vulnerable family situation with lots of different types of causes, domestic abuse and you know other things that can make people's lives unstable, then we'll simply be firefighting forever. So, so we, we see a real need to focus on that as well as developing flow through the accommodation system which is we think of it in, in similar terms to managing a hospital really you know we think that there are too many people stuck in supported accommodation who could be moving on to independent living that blocks up capacity in the system and we've done a lot on that in Doncaster too but prevention for sure is absolutely massive here. We don't really want to make an artificial threshold between specialist and mainstream services with people who are homeless and people who are struggling in poverty but housed because a lot of the lessons that we learn from specialist services can be applied in all sorts of mainstream situations and there's been a lot of work recently done by the CQC and NHS England putting out the guidance and reminding mainstream practices that they do have a duty to register homeless patients who present to them and turning people away because they don't have the right documentation isn't allowed within the current regulations. And I think looking nationally, if we really wanted to make a difference to the healthcare of homeless people, if every mainstream practice were encouraged to register one or two or three of the local homeless population in terms of improving access to healthcare, that would make the most difference nationally. And that is a responsibility which we all share. There is increasing evidence coming out now to support specialist services such as step-down care. There's some new research which is going to be published uh, later in 2019 from the uh, King's College Hospital Research Group, some NIHR-funded research, into hospital discharge arrangements for homeless patients. And one of their key findings is that whatever type of service you have providing that in reach having integrated intermediate step-down services for people leaving hospital between hospital and the community can help people in all kinds of complex situations including end-of-life care situations and one of the examples which they cite is the BRICS project in Bradford Mm. with Bevan Healthcare and it might be worth hearing a little bit more about that. That's been going now for about five years. It was initially set up with some innovation funding through the Department of Health to look at providing specialist care for people being discharged from hospital. So we've done it in partnership with Horton Housing. It consists of 14 self-contained units for people to be discharged into. As I've said, we, it was initially stepped down, but now it's a step up as well from the outreach services in uh, Bevan House, particularly in Bradford. It has been commissioned through um, adult social care for the uh, social element and the CCG, Bradford City CCG, in terms of um, us providing the healthcare into there. So everybody that is in there currently, they're all registered with the practice for primary care. And then one of our GPs supports the practice. It's almost going to do like what you would say, Nigel, like a ward round yeah. once a week. And then um, Helen, our lead nurse from the Pathway, Bradford Bevan Pathway team, goes in every other day at least, or there's access for the staff to call Helen or the practice at any time with any problems. But it provides mental health services from our practice as well. But likewise, if anyone requires district care from the district nurses, they're plumbed into there as well, tuned in with patients. And also if we've got anybody with end of life care, We've got a great relationship with the uh, Marie Curie, with the hospice, the palliative care teams, as well as the Macmillan nurses. So we've been able to support people who are at end of life, who have gone into the facility. 
and support the staff within that facility as well, providing the social care with some training as well. That's really important. But one of the best things for us is that, you know, people have had, in real terms, a good death and have died with dignity and have, you know, ended their life often with a family reunion, but also ended their life pain-free as well. And whether that has been whether in the BRICS facility or whether they've actually entered into a hospice and had the care, the marvellous care in Bradford that the Marie Curie teams provide. And for somebody to die and I've heard it say again, their place rightfully back in society at the end of their days is really important as well. And that is just a, a prime example of good commissioning, good communication between health and social care. So the Doncaster Complex Lives Alliance, with lots of other good practice across the country, has been acknowledged as you know a successful approach, certainly a, you know a promising approach for the longer term. And, and of course, the question then is asked: How do we scale this? How do we grow this across a, a wider patch? And we've been working to say, okay, local context matters. You know, Sheffield have their own circumstances, their own needs, their own dynamics. So do Barnsley. So do Rotherham. So does Bassett Law, as Doncaster does. But how can we apply the principles of the complex lives approach in a way which fits local context, fits local organisational landscapes, but nonetheless delivers the support that's needed for vulnerable people on the ground? And it's interesting to see the role of the integrated care system growing there. You know, I think that is acknowledged as very much about not a controlling process, not a another layer of bureaucracy or accountability, but a genuinely empowering, enabling support role which we see ultimately being able to develop lines into investment to test new approaches ways of bringing collaboration together you know between the local authorities and that's beginning to develop nicely there's a real commitment from the south yorkshire and bachelor ics to do that which is is fantastic to see we started with that uh, persons experiencing homelessness around 10 times more likely to die in every given year than age-matched housed people What I hope we've established today is that if we work in an integrated way and improve access to services for a homeless person with multiple complex needs, we can improve their life expectancy significantly. So I'd like to thank Chris and Nigel and thank you all for listening as well. Integrated care, complex needs that require life-saving solutions. Featured Dr Nigel Hewitt, Chris Marsh and Gina Rowlands and was produced by Robert Mulligan for NHS England and NHS Improvement.